and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McLaughlin. Let me start today by saying Happy New Year. I hope your holiday season was merry and bright, and I hope your new year is off to a dazzling start. I'm sorry I've been MIA for a couple of weeks, and I appreciate your patience. Things have been hmm, difficult since Thanksgiving Day. My mother-in-law, who had fought lymphoma earlier in the year, but who was in remission, was off on Thanksgiving and, sadly, died 10 days before Christmas. Her name was Muneen. Isn't that beautiful? It's a very rare Irish first name, and it suited her perfectly. You know, Muneen loved Christmas, I think, as much as, and really in the same way as I love Christmas. She loved finding gifts for people that she thought they would love. She was tuned into things you talked about or said and would really clue in on something that you'd love. And she also showered the family with gifts, so many gifts for each of us. I think that really is one of her love languages. The Christmas tradition was to open gifts one at a time, and then Munin would tell us about the gift and her thought process behind choosing it, and then she'd tell you whether it was available in other sizes or colors or styles, and how you could exchange it if you wanted, because really, at the end of the day, what she wanted was for you to have what you wanted. As you might imagine, all that commentary resulted in an extended Christmas celebration, one that sometimes even required an intermission for dinner. Um, So this Christmas day was a little sadder, a little shorter, and definitely less festive than it's been in the past. And though the family is recalibrating to uh, life without Munin, you better believe that Moving forward, we will all be adding extensive commentary to all future gift-giving occasions in her honor. (laughs) So, as I'm sure you can imagine, the last six weeks have been an exhausting and heart-wrenching whirlwind for us, but things are starting to settle into our new normal. And that leads me to being here with you today for the first episode of the 40 Drinks Podcast for 2023. And I'm really thrilled to share it with you. Today, I'm talking to Toby Miles, who described herself as a grown woman. She was in her mid-30s with kids. She was a smart, college-educated, middle-class woman who found herself in an abusive and controlling relationship. And then she had to find her way out of it. And because I'm feeling a little fragile after the last few weeks, I'm going to tell you up front that this story has a happy ending but that there's a good bit of darkness we're going to walk through with Toby before we get to the light. Hi, Toby. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi. Thank you, Stephanie. I'm excited to be here and chat with you. I am as well. You and I met not too long ago, and we were introduced by one of my previous guests on the podcast, the fabulous Miss L., Mm-hmm. After my conversation with her, she connected me with some really amazing women, one of which was you. And when you told me a story and I said, oh, now I know why she connected us. We have to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So let's jump right in. Um I think when we first spoke, you said, I'm not the right person to be on because I'm a little bit older than 40, mm-hmm. but you've got a great story a great lesson and a great vantage point from which to tell it. 
let's start sort of at the beginning. You got married pretty young. Tell me just a little bit about that relationship. My first husband was 10 years older than me. And I always thought I was a pretty mature 20 something. I was actually still in college when we got married. And what I learned, and he, he is a wonderful person and a good man. And, but what I learned through that time period was that I never allowed myself the time in my twenties, that really crucial time in life to learn about myself. My first husband was already on his second career. He had already had one successful career and here I was in college and I was still trying to figure things out. And so very quickly his goals in life became my goals in life. And he was, he was much more settled at 30. You know, I was, when we met, I was 21 and he was 31. Mm -hmm. And so, so I quickly learned that, that, that critical time in my twenties, you know, I was living somebody else's idea of what life should look like. Mm. So, yeah. So, and I, mean, fortunately we did not have kids right away. So we had plenty of time ourselves just as a couple. And then we started a family. I was 29 when I had my son, my first child. And two years later, I had my daughter. And it was around that time that things really started to shift and change for us. And in part due to our ideas of how we were going to raise our kids, what our family unit should look like, you know, his family was 100% focused on the kids. His parents never went anywhere without the kids. They didn't go on date night. They didn't take trips away without their kids. And my parents were kind of the opposite. I mean, yes, we took family vacations, but my parents took trips by themselves. You know, just the two of them, they went on date nights. And so we really started to struggle as our kids got older. I was wanting more couple time and, and he was really not wanting that. He was wanting more family time. And so that was kind of a point where we started to grow apart a little bit. And I really started to realize that I had just kind of boxed myself in through my 20s and didn't really know who I was as a person and what I wanted in life. One of the things you told me about that relationship, you said there were uh, some similarities between you and your husband that you were both pretty creative people. And in fact, you yes. went into business together. Yes. Yes. He was an illustrator and I was a graphic designer. And so we started a business together and we collaborated on a lot of projects together. We had separate projects and our business really became an important piece of our relationship, kind of like the glue that kind of held us together. And so we were very compatible in that way. So when our marriage ended and our business ended, I really felt like, you know, I didn't know, like, was there another relationship in my future? And what would that person look like? Because it seemed like on paper, the man that I married was the perfect match for me. You know, we had similar interests. We both loved to read, we both love art, movies, things like that. And um, his disposition was very like calm and laid back. It just seemed like, of course, this has to work. And then when it didn't, I was a little bit perplexed, like, okay, well, if that's not the person, then maybe there isn't anyone out there for me. Right. But then you did find someone else. And tell me I, a little bit about that. Yes, it was several years later after I had split up with my first husband. 
and I met someone who was literally the polar opposite of my first husband. He was very type A. He was in the financial business. He was a banker, financial planner. And in my mind, it made sense to me. I thought, well, obviously, like this is the right person for me because my ex-husband wasn't. So somebody who was polar opposite of my ex-husband and really opposite of of who I was. You know, I wasn't a numbers girl. I was a, an artist. I was born an artist. And so I thought, well, may, maybe that's, you know, opposites attract sort of a thing, you know, the, mm -hmm. the yin to my yang. And so mm -hmm. I, I thought, yeah, this makes sense to me. This is, this is the person that I'm, you know, going to be most compatible with. And that didn't quite turn out the way you thought. No, it didn't. I was always pretty independent. I was a middle child and so left to my own devices a lot growing up. So I figured things out for myself and I was independent in my marriage too, as well, always worked. And when I met this other man, initially he was always very concerned about, make sure you let me know when you get where you're going, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or he would ask me questions about who I had talked to where I went, things like that. And initially I thought, oh, isn't that sweet? You know, he really cares about me. It did not feel like control in the beginning, mm -hmm. but little it by little. It just felt like interest. It felt like interest. It, it felt like love. I thought, wow, he really, he's really concerned about me. He cares yeah. when I get where I'm going. And sometimes he would even, you know, if I had to go to an appointment somewhere that I'd never been before, he said, well, just, I know where that is. You can follow me and I'll make sure you get there. And I thought, oh, that's so sweet. But little by right. little, what felt like caring and even love became controlling, even to the point of accusations. So for example, if he'd say, well, how many people did you talk to at work today? I'm like, I don't know, you know, handful mm. of people. Well, how many men hit on you while you were at work today? None, you know, and so it became more accusatory. And when I said none, or I don't know, he thought I was just playing stupid. He thought I was, you know, denying things. And these types of conversations very quickly escalated into very explosive arguments, name calling, sometimes physical situations, throwing things. And again, I felt like, well, but this is, this has to work because my marriage didn't work. And so this, this has to be the missing piece to my puzzle. And he, and this man had not the best upbringing, not the best childhood. And so there was a part of me that felt like if I just love him enough, I can help him through some of his own issues, right? Like he can't help it. Mm. This is how he is. All I have to do is hang in here and love him enough and show him, you know, what a healthy relationship would look like and everything will be okay. And I was so yeah. wrong about that. Tell me how long did it take before you... Before, I want to ask this a different way. One of the things that you and I talked about when we first met was, you know, how does a, you know, a, a girl, you know, find herself in this situation? You know, somebody who's been happy and healthy and, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. um, 
so I'm, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get at is, you know, when you meet someone new and there's that, you know, the first blush and, you know, everybody's excited and things are going well. And then, you know, that lasts a few months and then you, you settle into a pattern of engaging with each other. And, and even that takes months and months and months before people really start kind of relaxing and letting themselves be a little bit more casual around their partners. So, how how long was it before you started wondering if it wasn't just love and interest and engagement with you in your life mhm yeah to be honest it really did not take that long before i started to see red flags that i chose to ignore so one of the things that happened was it was summer and I took my kids to a vacation at the beach and it happened to be at a local beach that I had once been to with an ex-boyfriend like years ago, someone mm -hmm. that was no longer in my mm -hmm. life. And when the man that I was involved with found out that I was at this beach with my kids that I had been to with an ex-boyfriend, he just exploded, right? And I just didn't understand it. You know, we went back and forth. Like, why is this a big deal? Like, I'm not with this person. He doesn't live here. We just went here once on a vacation. But uh, for him, I think it was, oh, you had memories with someone there and, and I'm not there with you to make new memories. And I don't remember all the specifics, but I do remember thinking, this is kind of weird. Like, I don't understand why this is such a big deal. But again, I just said, okay, I'm still learning him. And, mm -hmm. and I just, brushed it off. And I look back, I have looked back often on that specific occasion and thought I should have, I should have paid attention. Those signals were coming through loud and clear. But what happens is yeah. you have these moments with someone who's abusive, who's a narcissist, you have these moments. And then when you get to the other side, they're overly apologetic. I'm so sorry. It won't happen again. I really do love you. And everything's good for a while and then something else happens and it's slightly more escalated than the previous incident. But over a period of time, it's just very small and very incremental. I feel like people like him, they, they want to reshape you into an image that they want to see. So he mm -hmm. was attracted to me but he wanted somebody that was much more like him. He wanted a, a type A personality. I used to say he wanted a female version of himself, you know, and I think that he was trying to remake me in that image because most of the conflicts that came up were around how I dressed, you know, he was very well put together, suit, tie, and, and things like that. And, you know, was I wearing enough lipstick? Was my blouse low cut enough? Were my pants tight enough? Like all these things were tripwires for him. They would set him off. I don't think I realized until I looked back on it that he just, he liked what he saw, but he wanted to mold me into something that I wasn't. I would say most of the explosions and then the apologies and the explosions and the apologies were centered around similar issues to that, that he was wanting me to be a different type of person. And I, I just never was going to be that. And so little mm -hmm. by little, I start to lose who I really was. I started to forget what were the things I used to love about myself. Yeah. And that is how a grown woman, middle-class woman, college educated woman, you know, right. smart, 
I was a mother, you know, I wasn't a child. I was a mother. That is how that happens slowly, little by little over a period of time. It's not like one day someone is just abusive. At least it wasn't that way in my case. Right. And did you find yourself over the course of that relationship? Did you find yourself making adjustments to assuage him? Did you find yourself dressing differently? Did you find yourself acting differently? Tell me a little bit about that. For sure. Yeah. I have never loved to shop for clothes. <laughs> I love to shop for shoes, but I've never loved to shop for clothes. <laughs> that was something that he loved doing and it annoyed him that I didn't like it. But yet I would go with him to the mall and we'd go shopping and I would get new clothes and he would sit outside the dressing room and want me to come out so he could see how things looked. And it made him mad when I said that I didn't feel like going shopping, you know, because it was like a regular thing. It was like a regular thing that we did. And I never liked to go shopping. Um, my hair, I have curly hair, right? Mm -hmm. He would get upset if I didn't blow dry my hair straight. That was something that was upsetting to him. So I never wore my hair curly. I felt like I was walking on eggshells when he was around my kids. He felt like they should behave in a certain way. I just always felt this tension when he was in the house. What is going to be the thing that's going to set him off? So, you know, dinner has to be ready right on time. The kids have to be polite at the table and not act like kids. Just so many things just created this tension all the time. And when he was out of the house, I definitely could feel like, okay, you know, I could breathe a little bit now and just relax and just be myself. Again, ignoring the obvious signs right in front of me. Right. Like I'm me, I'm comfortable when he's not here and I'm walking on eggshells when he is here. Right. Did you live together? We lived together for a very short period of time, not for very yeah. long. Yeah. Yeah. And how old were your kids during this period? They were grade school and middle school. My right. daughter was fourth grade maybe. And my son was just starting middle school at the time. Okay. So conscious human beings. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Did they ever yes. say anything to you? They never really said anything to me. They would just get super quiet. I think I shared with you that that is one of my deepest regrets is that, you know, it's one thing to, to stay in a situation that you know is unhealthy f for yourself, but it was unhealthy for my kids. And that's not something that I can ever go back and apologize enough for thankfully my kids are adults now they're happy they're healthy have jobs you know they live on their own i think they turned out okay but you know i just i just feel like it was i was being selfish by staying in that situation if for no other reason i should have left for their well-being yeah why did you stay do you know i think that i i was struggling with um self-esteem issues. And I think that had I been a more well-rounded person after my first marriage, uh, a little bit more secure in myself, I think I would have had the wherewithal to say, no, this is, this is not right. And I don't need to be in a relationship to take care of myself and to be happy and to look after my kids. But, um, I, I felt like 
I felt like I needed to be part of a relationship. I think that I thought, well, that this is what you do in life. You know, you have kids, this is what you do. Your marriage failed. So now this is what's next. And wow, <laughs> it was not only so far from the truth, but I went the polar opposite when that relationship was finally over. I didn't think I would ever be in a relationship again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that definitely brings us to 40. So mm -hmm. this relationship lasted, I think you said about four years. Yeah. About four years. Yes. Hi, this is where I usually interrupt to ask you to look down at your phone and either rate or share the podcast. And I'd still love for you to do that. But you know, what I'm really more interested in is getting to know you and hearing your feedback and any comments you have about these inter interviews. Really, I, I really want that. Let's make it easy. You don't even have to put fingers to keyboard. Why don't you send me a voice note, either by email or on one of the socials. Email it to stephanie at 40drinks.com or send one on Facebook or Instagram. I want to hear what you think, whether it's positive or constructive. You never know. I'll probably use it in an upcoming episode too. All right, back to Toby, who's going to tell us how her 40th birthday led to yet another explosive argument and what effect that argument had on their relationship. Tell me about what happened somewhere around when you turned 40. Somewhere around when I turned 40, a very clear event in my mind was when I was actually turning 40. I had decided that I was not going to be disappointed about how my 40th birthday went. And so I said, I'm going to plan my own celebration. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then that way, I'm not leaving it in someone else's hands. I will decide what I want to do. I'll plan the whole thing and whoever wants to participate, great. So I decided that I wanted to go to New York City for the weekend. I have family in New York. I have a cousin who at that time was a chef at a restaurant in New York. And so that's what I planned. We're going to take the train to New York City. We're going to go eat at my cousin's restaurant. We're going to do all the New York City things and, and that'll be fun. My boyfriend at the time was like, sure, great. So I bought the tickets. I made all the reservations and I wanted to leave early on Saturday morning because I wanted to have a full two days in the city. So Saturday morning, the day of my actual 40th birthday, we woke up early because I had planned to get an early train and he was just not making any moves to get out of bed. And I'm poking him like, come on, let's go. I want to make this whatever, early 6 a.m. train. It was crazy early. And he was being stubborn. And why do we have to go so early? This is my only day off. And I said, because this is what I plan to do. This is my birthday. This is what I want to do. And he was being very belligerent. And I said, fine, I'm going to go without you. And he jumped out of bed. He's like, I don't understand why this is such a big deal. And we were arguing and it started to escalate. And he had an ironing board next to his bed. He reached up for the iron on the ironing board next to his bed and threw it in my direction. It whizzed past my head, landed in the wall. And I said, that's it. I'm out here. I'm leaving. Before I even had a chance to leave, there was a knock at the door. He lived in an apartment. There was a knock at the door and it was, um, it was the cops. The neighbors had heard us arguing, had called the cops. And I was visibly upset. They said, ma'am, can you come out into the hallway so we can speak to you privately? And I had seen this sort of thing on TV, right? They don't want to question you in front of the person. They want to make sure you feel safe enough to answer, honestly. I remember at the time thinking, 
this is like what I've seen on TV. This is actually happening to me. Like, who am I? So I went out into the hall and they asked me all the questions. Are you hurt? Are you okay? Do you have somewhere else to go? Are you here of your own free will? All those things. I assured them that I was fine and they left and I went back in the apartment and I got my things and I went to New York by myself for my birthday, for my 40th birthday. That was really the beginning of the end. I did come back and I think we had another very explosive argument where he had done something very disrespectful to my daughter. I got in his face and he headbutted me, cut my forehead, left a, a big welt on my forehead. It was almost like I needed that blow to my head to just finally wake up. I was like, you need to get out. We're done. And that was the end of it. Um, again, my daughter witnessed that and you know, he just pushed the wrong button that time. I took all the criticism on me, but when it was directed towards my daughter, that was the final straw. So that was, that was the end. And I very quickly after that day got into therapy, I found a therapist through a friend of mine and start working with her. And I remember one day my older sister said to me, welcome back. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, we haven't recognized you for the last few years. And I was like, wow. Mm. You know, I didn't recognize myself either, but I felt like I was hiding things pretty well. And evidently I really wasn't. Mm. Wow. That's just an unbelievable story that you came through that. I'm, I'm, Happy for you that you made it out the other side and whatever it took to wake you up, it did. And you were able to get out of that situation. But I would imagine that after spending several years in that kind of environment, I can't imagine you were even a shade of your former self. What did you do to put yourself back together again? You know, it was just like literally teeny tiny little steps. Like, as you can imagine, when something like that erupts, sometimes even just the most basic things like getting out of bed and taking my kids to school was a struggle. You know, I had shared my life with someone, even though I was unhappy a lot of the time, that was my life. And so now what does my life look like on my own? You know, who am I on top of the abuse? I was in a bad financial situation because I had given him a lot of money and uh, I was in a pretty big hole because I had cashed out some retirement money. So I had some tax implications around that. It was literally, okay, today you're going to get up and you're going to start looking for a really secure job with good benefits, with good hours might not be the job that I love. I worked when I was with him. I was still freelance graphic designer. I was doing some personal training on the side. So it was just like a little bit all over the place. I said, it starts with one thing that is going to give me some security, a routine, a routine for my kids. So ultimately I found a job in corporate marketing and it was very secure. It was close to home, normal hours. So I could take my kids to school and drop them off. And that really was like the very first step to kind of putting the pieces back together. I decided that because of the financial situation I had been in when I was with him, see, that was a piece of it too, was that I had 
given him money or lent him money. And I remember thinking, if we split up, I'm never going to get my money back. In the end, it would have been fine. It probably still would have been worth not ever getting that money back to make the decision to leave. But I know that that was in the back of my mind, that if we split up, he's never going to pay me back the money that he owes me. So when I started working in this corporate job, it was just really important to me to be financially independent, to not ever have to depend on anyone again. Because one of the things that I learned was that when you're not in control of your own finances, it's easy to be stuck, right? If you find yourself in a situation that's not good for you, it's easy to be stuck. But when you can take care of yourself, you cover all your bills and everything yourself, you don't need to rely on anyone else. If you're in a bad situation, you just pick up and leave or you ask them to leave. And so, although I was not ready by any means for another relationship, one thing I said to myself is I will never be dependent on another person again, financially. I just won't let it happen. That was like the one thing I knew (laughs) above all else that, that I would stay true to. Yeah. I'm just so curious if this guy was a banker and a financial planner, why is he borrowing money from a freelance graphic designer? (laughs) It was also very, exactly. I know, I know that was one of the things. So he was in a situation where he made a small salary, but he was also commission. He worked on commission. So he was a financial planner and he would make commissions off big deals when he worked with people. And it was always, I know this commission is coming in, so can you just float me a few thousand for rent or whatever it was until this commission came in. And then when commission day came and went, it was always, I don't know what happened. It was only a third of what it was supposed to be. And that became the story over and over again. And he was a good salesperson and I believed him. And every time I'm expecting this time the commissions are going to be really good. I'll be able to cover all these bills and I'll be able to pay you back. And it just, it just went on and on and on like that. I was perplexed about that too. He was a smart individual. It wasn't an issue of him not being smart. He understood money. He was certified, but he was not smart about his own personal situation. Yeah. Yeah. Let's leave him behind. Yes, I I feel a weight in my chest just talking about him. So Mm -hmm. let's let's leave your 40th year behind us and talk about all the things that you did to rebuild yourself. I know you said a lot of it was just putting one foot in front of the other. I love your intention to be financially independent and secure and on your own. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. That does just provide a sense of freedom. Is that the right word? Self-reliance. Maybe that's a better word. Self-reliance. Yeah. Yeah. Or empowerment. You don't, right? There you go. That's an even better word. I know you're a word nerd. We'll get to that. (laughs) So you told me that afterwards you needed to do some work to find yourself again Mm -hmm. and to remember what you loved about yourself. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little Mm -hmm. bit about that process. All the things that I think I had just kind of buried my artistic side, my quirky side, you know, I'm goofy, I'm silly, I'm impulsive. Um, All those things just became buried. And little by little, I started to kind of reconnect with those things about myself. And I 
began to realize like, it's okay to be these things. Like, this is who I am. And I want people in my life who resonate with me and who connect with those parts of me. They don't have to be just like me, but they accept me and they value me and who I am as a person and my friendship just for exactly who I am. And so I got the job. I made friends at work, lifelong friends I'm still close with to this day. And I really focused on my kids and what was going on in their lives at that time. I was able to move us to our own townhouse, which was pretty amazing, much closer to their school. So they were able to be closer to friends again. And I remember the day I'd gone to a chamber of commerce meeting and it was a beginning of spring and the breakfast meeting was not too far from my work. And so I thought, well, I'm going to walk because it's a really beautiful day. I was wearing my favorite black dress. It had these embroidered little flowers on it and the sun was warm on my skin. And I remember the moment when I was just, wow, I feel so comfortable in my own skin for the first time in forever. It was great. I was, I was single. I was happy single. <laughs> and I thought, if this is how it is, then this is great. I'm happy with me. I'm happy right. with my life. I'm taking care of my kids. My focus is in the right place. I'm making art again. I was getting out of debt and I just felt really, really comfortable in my own skin is the best way to put it. I love that. How long was that after the end of the relationship? Because I, I know... Certainly I've been in some bad relationships, not like yours, but it takes a while afterwards to find yeah, your footing. So how, how long would, would you say, say that took you? I would say it was about a year, maybe a yeah, little bit over a year. that's what I would have guessed. Yeah. In the beginning, I was, I was going to therapy multiple times a week and then it was once a week and then it was, you know, okay, I think you have an understanding of what happened why it happened. And you come back when you need chickens, you know, or tune-ups yep. was what she said. Yep. <laughs> and I did periodically, yep. I felt myself just on unsteady ground and questioning some of my decisions. Mm -hmm. And I would go back for a little tune-up and, and I was, I was good to go. And the power of having that person in my life, I know it sounds dramatic, but I believe that she saved my life. Everything that I suspected she validated. She said, this person did not accept you for who you were. So yeah, it was about a year afterwards. And just as it took me little by little to fall down that hole, it took me little by little to climb back out of it, just putting myself back together and really feeling even stronger as a person, as a woman. Yeah. You told me you had to remember what you loved about yourself. Yes. What, tell me what some of those things are. Uh, oh boy. I, you know, I can be silly. I like to be silly. I like to, you know, make jokes. I like to let my hair be curly because my hair is curly. <laughs> I mm -hmm. love to paint and do collage and I love to read, be out in nature, simple things. It's nothing really extravagant. Yeah. I love to hang out with the people that I love, my family, my sisters. I love to just spend hours, just whatever, you know, over a cup of coffee or watching a movie or going to a farmer's market, like all those things, those simple joys in life. Those are the things um, that I really just 
kind of buried inside that I forgot, like, yeah, I used to love to do that. Right. Well, and here's the kicker to the whole story. So you spent many years after that relationship on your own. Mm -hmm. And I forget if you said it while we were talking now or previously, you thought you'd be single forever because Mm -hmm. relationships just hadn't worked out for you. Yeah. And then what happened? Yeah. (laughs) Ironically, she was wrong, folks. um, Yes, she was wrong. (laughs) She was super wrong. (laughs) The irony of the situation is that my ex-husband lived not too far from me and our kids would go back and forth between our houses and I was dropping them off at his house one day. And I think I made some comment to that effect. I'm probably just going to be alone forever and whatever, it's fine. And he said, have you ever thought about online dating? And I was like, no, I have not. I haven't. <laughs> it sounds like super weird to me. And he's like, I don't right. know. You might just want to try it. And so I don't know. I think that planted the seed. And a few days later, I had a glass of wine. I said, okay, I'm going to check this out and see what this is all about. <laughs> so I kind of dipped my toe. I really didn't create a profile. I was just trying to see what was out there. What was it like? And then maybe another few weeks later, I went back on and built a profile and put a picture up there. And so I spent the next maybe year or so just random dating people, nothing too serious, but it was kind of fun to go out, have dinner with somebody. But it also became like a fair amount of work. (laughs) So I would schedule my dates for when my kids were at their dad's because I I didn't want to involve them in any of that. I was not ready for anything like that. So that meant that I was squeezing dates into a short amount of time. And after a while, it was just kind of like, okay, it's exhausting. I'm going to take a little break for a while. So I decided to shut down my online dating app, but I had scheduled, I think three different dates for that final weekend of my subscription. And the very last date on Sunday of that weekend was when I met my husband. He had said the same thing, ironically, like, you know what, maybe I'm just like, it's just not meant to be and I'm just going to be single and I'm okay with that. I, I like who I am. You know, I have friends, I have mm-hmm. family, I have my kids. I'm, I'm pretty happy the way I am, right? And it was almost right. like the universe said, the minute you accept that about yourself, now we're going to bring you this gift of this new person, this new relationship who is going to complement your life. And so, yes, I was very wrong (laughs) about staying single forever. (laughs) Can you explain how your husband fits in a way that previous relationships didn't? Yeah. So, um, The one piece that I was right about, I think, was I talked about my first husband being very much like me and then this other relationship, Mm -hmm. um, this man being really the opposite of me. And I would say that my husband is a little bit of a combination. He's retired military, so he's a planner. He likes things in order and things should be a certain way and do things the same way every time. You know, he follows the recipe when he makes macaroni and cheese, whereas I just like... (laughs) You know, I just wing it and if it looks good, you know, and so, but he loves me for who I am and the things Mm. that are different about us 
we love that about each other, right? I love that he's a planner. I love that when we go on vacation, he has his like list of things, whereas I'm just throwing stuff into the suitcase until it's full, right? So, but he's he's got a kind heart. Uh, he speaks to me with respect and with love. He is a, an ad adventurous person. His time in the military has created a very adventurous spirit. And so he loves to go places and do things and, if I say, oh, you know, I would love to, we, we ride motorcycles. So I say, I'd love to like hop on the bikes and go do a trip to out to Sturgis one year. He's like, great, let's do it. And he's already in planning mode, right? So he has that sort of spontaneous spirit about him. I think that we really complement each other in that way. We're different enough that it keeps things interesting, but we're alike enough on the things that are really like our core values and things that are really important to us. So you did a little Goldilocksing there. You did a little, yeah, too hot, too cold, <laughs> just right, just right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for that's, sure, for sure. That's <laughs> wonderful. You said something else to me. So you now own a small business. You used to be a graphic designer, but now you're in copywriting. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I started my adult career as a graphic designer, and then I worked in the marketing space. I was a marketing director at two different health clubs and then my corporate marketing job. And when I was in corporate marketing, I was in a project manager role. I managed very large scale direct mail campaigns, email campaigns, and I worked with a creative team and I always worked with copywriters and I, I loved the work that they did. And I thought, I want to do what they do. I really did not have the opportunity much to do that while I was in my corporate job because I was very busy as the project manager. I got to, mm -hmm. you know, sort of dip my toe into the world of copywriting, but I always felt like that was something that I would really love to do. So in my 14th year at my company, it really felt like I was ready to do something different. I was really ready to sort of spread my creative wings. And while I worked for a great company, there was not a lot of room for me to move up in my department. I just became very restless and not very fulfilled in that job. I remember talking to my husband, I would love to leave and just start my own thing. And in the middle of 2019, he was diagnosed with cancer. And I remember thinking at the time, well, this is the worst possible time for me to leave my job. You know, somebody has to have stability, but mm -hmm. I was just so unhappy. And we sat down one morning, we always have our morning coffee together and we were sitting there and he knew I was unhappy. I said, what do you think I should do about my job? And he said, life is short. We know life is short. And I just want you to do something that makes you happy. And the next day I called my boss. And I said, I'm going to be leaving at the end of the year. And that's exactly what I did. I picked up a few freelance copywriting clients. December 31st, 2019 was my last day at my job. And I never looked back. I love what I do. I feel like I almost wish I had taken the leap a little bit sooner, but things happen when they're supposed to. I have been able to, the promise I made to myself to stay true to me and to use my authentic voice out in life and in the world. That is also a principle and a core value in my business. It's right. very important for me that my customers feel like 
I'm writing for them in a way that feels authentic and genuine to them so that they feel like they're showing up in their businesses in a way that feels really good to them. I can attribute that core value to everything that I experienced having lost that in myself at one time and then finally gotten it back. Once you get it back, you value it that much more and you never want to let it go. So that's something that's an important thread in my business and with my clients. Right. When you lose it and get it back, you realize how precious it is. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. Well, Toby, I have so enjoyed our conversation today. You've been so generous in sharing your story. I am so grateful. I hope that there are folks out there who hear it and might be able to see themselves in it and see see a way to a much better place like you did. So I appreciate you sharing. I know it must've been difficult to go back. I felt the heaviness in my chest. So I know it must've been difficult to go back. And I appreciate you doing that with me. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. I agree. I hope that if even one person sees themselves in my story and understand that it it happens to smart women too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It it really does. And there is life on the other side. Yes. Yes. And I think that's actually a pretty common theme of almost everybody I've talked to with their 40 transition, which is there's some messiness once you realize that a change needs to be made. So there's some work to be done to get through and onto the other side of that change. But then once you get there, things are just much, much sweeter. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Toby. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. I won't say I hope you enjoyed hearing Toby's story today because how could you enjoy a story that harrowing? But if you've ever been in a situation similar to Toby's, I hope your after is as happy and successful as hers is. And if you currently find yourself in a situation like that, I hope you can use Toby's story as an example of how to find your way out of it. Next week, you're going to meet Sharban Mare, who decided to hike Mount Kilimanjaro to celebrate his 40th birthday. He talked his wife into joining him, and during our conversation, he nearly had me believing I could do it too. (laughs) Spoiler alert, not in a million years. See you next week. The 40 Drinks Podcast is produced and presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications.